0: This episode of The Watchman's Soul, we deal with the biblical charge, the command to be a man. It's a command given by David to his son Solomon. It's given to his son Solomon with a sense of urgency. And with that command, we also find in the particular passage of Scripture in which we see this charge given by David to Solomon, we find some characteristics of what it means to be a man. Thank you for joining The Watchman Soul. I'm Blake Newsom, and uh, as always, my sidekick, my MC, Michael Cole, who's on the mic today. How's it going? <laughs> <laughs> Can you hear that great voice, of my very manly voice of Michael. Uh, glad to have Michael, glad to have him helping, hoping he gets some opportunities to, uh, to chime in and uh, give us some great wisdom. Uh, from uh, from his life. <laughs> the charge to be a man is an interesting charge, particularly in our culture and society today. I want us to walk through a passage of Scripture. Uh, it's found in First Kings chapter two. We're going to start in verse one of First Kings two. We're just going to bounce through here and extract some of these principles that we see from David to his son Solomon in this charge to be a man. And we're also going to extract some of these characteristics uh, that certainly are timeless in the life of men. We want to, as always, place this in the context of our contemporary culture, our contemporary society, uh, which is, um, to say the least, not excited about the topic of masculinity. We find ourselves in a culture in which not only are are people attempting to separate out this sense of a male-female differentiation in terms of sex. Um, And they're not only trying to discuss that in a way that is absolutely not biological and not scientific, but they're also now moving the conversation away from biology, away from science, and they're moving it into this realm of uh, emotions, feelings, some of these uh, sociological and societal differences that don't help us understand the differences between men and women and how we interact and relate to one another. Uh, And they're using this term gender, and they're talking about gender uh, and conflating the concepts of masculinity and femininity. And what they're saying simply is that the characteristics of masculinity and the characteristics of femininity are interchangeable, meaning there aren't really any characteristics that are only true of men and there aren't any characteristics that are only true of women. We can just swap those out. So what we find in our culture is that they are encouraging, uh, and I would say in a sense, strong-arming men to exercise their emotions more than men typically have in the past. Uh, And so they're wanting men to be, I would submit, overly emotional and they're emphasizing to women this sense of, uh, of physicality uh, that has historically been true, been more true of men for obvious reasons. Uh, but they're emphasizing it among women. And we see this uh, actually this week uh, in culture. We've had Carly Lloyd, who is a decorated female soccer player. Uh, she has won World Cup championships. She has uh, captained the women's national team. And so she goes out for a tryout. She kicks a 50-yard field goal, I believe. And so now they are talking about her getting offers in the NFL. And what we find in this, if we were to take this in a vacuum, we would say, okay, that's kind of a cool story. She made a, a long field goal, almost connecting it back when uh, I remember the the Men's World Cup was in the U.S. and Tony Miola, the United States goalie, he got an opportunity to kick professionally didn't work out very well, but he got the opportunity to kick professionally, and so we can say, okay, well, it's the same thing here, right? But we have to take it out of a vacuum, and we have to recognize where we are culturally. And there is this attempt by not only feminists but I would say culture at large to puncture uh, one of the the great bastions of masculinity, which is professional football. And so if they can insert this female into this male-dominated atmosphere, then they can prove once and for all, and it would be sort of the coup de grace uh, for females all over the world, that women are just as physical as men. Now, we know that that's not true. Simple biology tells us that's not true, but in their efforts, uh, our cultural and societal efforts to confuse us and to overwhelm us uh, with this gender debate, if they can insert Carly Lloyd into this male-dominated sport, to this physically dominating sport, then they will win the cultural battle and prove once and for all that there are no distinguishable differences between masculinity and femininity. So we want to talk about what it means to be a man, and we want to place it not only in the context of the Bible, but we want to place it in the context of our society at large. And so our society at large says there is no difference. The Bible would say, oh, there is a difference. Biology and science would tell us, oh, there is a difference. So we want to explore those differences, and we want to examine what it means to be a man. Again, we find this in 1 Kings chapter 2, David is on his deathbed, and David on his deathbed gives a charge to his son Solomon. And uh, David's charge is found in verse 2. He says, be strong, show yourself a man. Be a man. That is the charge from father to son, from former king to new king. He says to be a man, and This means be a man as opposed to being a woman. There is an implication here. We would say it's not even implied. It's overt. It's obvious that there is a difference between a man and a woman. There is a uniqueness to living as a man. We don't run from this. We don't need to run from this. There is a uniqueness to living as a man, just as there is a uniqueness to living as a woman. And David says, show yourself. And it's the concept, it's the idea that it's something that we do. It's not just something we claim to be. We are to demonstrate, to show ourselves, to live in such a manner as a man. Now, we could simply look at this and say, well, that's Old Testament. We don't have to deal with that, right? We don't have to apply that to where we are today. But then we find this, Statement in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13, Paul says, Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men. And then he follows that up with the admonition to be strong. So we find this charge, this biblical command to men to demonstrate, to live as, to show yourself as a man, as a unique way of living, that is different to being a woman, to living as a woman. So as we explore this, what does it mean to be a man? What are some characteristics of being a man? Well, we place it in the context of the life events of David and Solomon. And this helps us understand this first characteristic of being a man. And it's the sense of living with urgency. David is dying. He even says, or it says about him, when the time drew near for David to die, to go the way of all the earth. So David is on his deathbed. This is his final appeal. And his advice to his son as he is dying is for his son to be a man, which tells us David probably thought that this was a pretty important issue. I mean, how important must it be for David to give this final charge to Solomon and for this final charge to include an encouragement and admonition, a call to live as a man. Now, as we talk about manhood, as we talk about what it means to be a man, as we deal with this issue of masculinity, it's always important for us to take a step back and remember that the archetypal man, the prototype of masculinity and manhood is Jesus. Jesus is God. Jesus lived as God and he lived as the God man. So Jesus embodies for us what God intended and created man to be. But he's Jesus. And so we we look at Jesus and we say, you know, obviously we are to aspire to live our lives like Jesus. We want to emulate him. We want to be his disciples. We want to be his followers. At the same time, he is Jesus. Uh, and so I think it does help us to look at some of these other characters. We see them flawed, but we also see in them portraits of manhood and masculinity. And I think when we look in the Old Testament, obviously we can see these characters that embody manhood and masculinity, but one of those is David. I think we should look to David. Uh, He is called the man after God's own heart by none other than God himself. So he is one that we should look to. Now, this is the man who fought and defeated lions, fought and defeated bears, fought and defeated giants. He fought and defeated the enemies of God. But David also lost some battles along the way. Most notably, he lost a battle to his own passion for women. David not only led the mighty men and ruled a nation, but he raised sons. He raised daughters. He even had one of his sons rape his daughter, which is a crazy story that I would encourage and invite you to read on your own. David also lost a son. So we can find in David Uh, some pictures of masculinity that are very helpful for us, and also some cautionary tales in his life. But what we see in 1 Kings 2, in this charge of David to Solomon, is that there is a sense of urgency for men to live as men. And I would submit to us that we need the same sense of urgency about being a man that David felt for his day, that he It wanted to inspire and provoke within his son, who would be king, who would be the leader, not only of the nation, but the leader of all the men in the nation. And so David felt this sense of urgency. We are in a crisis of men. As we looked at in our previous podcast, and I would encourage and invite you to go back and listen to that, but we looked at this aspect that children who grow up in homes in which there's no father, they're at a much higher level risk of behavior disorders, dropping out of school, teen pregnancy, uh, living homeless, attempting suicide, living in poverty, and going to prison. We also find ourselves in a culture that is assaulting the concept of masculinity. And, and what I feel and what I perceive as we look at culture, and I referenced this source uh, in our last podcast, but I'll reference again, reference it again, in the demise of guys which is i believe it's an ebook that was put out uh, by some of the guys who did TED talks it talks about how one of the crises that we are seeing among our men is that because men are feeling unwanted and unneeded in society our men are are growing up with a sense of apathy and complacency, which is the exact opposite of urgency. David is calling Solomon to live with urgency. What we find is that culturally we are being encouraged and even forced almost to live with a sense of apathy, to live with a sense of complacency. And if we aren't living with urgency, we aren't demonstrating ourselves as men. We aren't living as men. We see this, I would say, more and more among our younger men. And in that ebook and in other sources out there, we see these statistical realities that men are feeling as though they are unwanted, as though they are unneeded, and they are feeling that they are to live as complacent and apathetic in life rather than living with urgency. So men, we are to live with a sense of urgency we're not only to live with a sense of urgency, but we are to lead. Men lead. Leadership implies authority. And that's what we see in this charge. As David gives his charge to Solomon, David has already handed over the throne. He's already passed the crown to Solomon. So in a sense, we would say that David is not in that recognized authoritative position, meaning he's not the king. Solomon is the king. But here we have the father, being in a position of authority over his son, even though his son is the king. And in verse 1, it says he gave a charge to Solomon, and it conveys the sense of a superior commanding a subordinate. It's not a passive command. It's not a weak command. It is a direct command a father in a commanding position over his son, even in the son's adulthood. It implies authority, which implies there's such a thing as an authoritative position. We know this. There must be a leader. So who is the leader? Well, in Scripture, beginning in Genesis 3, man is called to be the leader. leader in the home. We also see that he is to be the leader in the church. And again, it's at that point, point where we want to say, oh, well, that's Old Testament. But we find this in 1 Corinthians 11. We find this in 1 Timothy 2, where 1 Corinthians 11 and 1 Timothy 2 affirm the created order of God and call men to a position of leadership. Call men to a position of leadership. Men, we are to lead. God has given us that command. That's something that we'll talk about later uh, in another episode of our podcast, but we want to mention that now. It's important for men to hear that, that we have been called by God to lead. We have been placed in a position of leadership in our homes and in our culture at large. Men are to lead. There's also within this passage and within this charge from David to Solomon, a call to be strong to be strong. Be strong, show yourself a man. And again, we saw this in the passage in First Corinthians chapter 16. Men are to be strong. And the sense with this is it can be physical, it can be external, but it's not limited to external. It's not limited to physical. It conveys the sense of be firm, be courageous, to be resolute in one's stance. And the sense of the verb is that this action doesn't stop. It actually pervades one's entire life, one's entire being, that we are to be strong. Men, we are under assault. We are under assault by an enemy that is prowling around like a lion lion seeking to devour as 1 Peter 5 would remind us. We are under assault from that enemy. And the enemy loves to use those cultural outlets to infect our minds to infect our emotions so that our behaviors are changed. We are under assault. We are not simply to throw up our defensive positions or to posture defensively, we are to advance. We're called by God to be strong, not just to, to stand firm, but to move forward with a sense of firmness. The word be strong, it conveys a sense of effective force. It is the power to advance, not just the power to endure or to resist. We are to be strong resolved to be a man, resolved to be strong, resolved to be firm under pressure, resolved to be firm under assault. We see that in the story of Daniel. Daniel is under the assault of the pagan rulers in which he finds himself having to submit to, but he's also under assault from the guys around him, his own relatives who are eating what the king's table is providing for them. But The Bible says in Daniel chapter 1 that he resolved that he would not defile himself. That is the sense of being strong. Men are to be strong. So be strong. Be strong and courageous like a man. That's what we see in 1 Kings 2. Now, we need to follow that up with another aspect of what it means to be strong, but in a little bit different way. Men, we're not only to be strong, but we're also to be strong as we live under the authority of God. There is this sense among men where we feel like we have to, to, uh, to bow up. We have to throw off all of the authority around us in order to exert ourselves as men. But the reality is men live under authority. We live under the authority of God. Now, we also might live under other authorities, most notably governmental authorities, but we live under the authority of God first and foremost, and we are to live in a manner that pleases God. David's charge to Solomon focuses on God. And he says to Solomon for him to observe the Lord's requirements, which means to, to stand guard over what God has told you to do, to be a sentinel, to be a watchman, appropriately enough. To be a watchman. Stand guard over what you know God's called you to, go, to do, who you know God's called you to be. Make sure you are watching yourself and living under the authority of God. And he calls him to walk to walk as he observes the Lord's requirements, meaning to live, to live a lifestyle of commitment and consistency under the authority of God. David knows that Solomon can only be strong and can only be a man as he walks in the ways of the Lord. Solomon's success would depend ultimately on whether or not he followed God's commands, on whether or not he lived under God's authority. That's a lifestyle that involves commitment. Now, we also find ourselves in a culture that is diminishing the notion and the concept of commitment. Many men not only are feeling forced to live in a state of complacency, but are also feeling forced to abandon commitment altogether. This connects with this concept of Our children growing up in fatherless homes. Why? Because men aren't committing. Men aren't committing to raise their families the way that they should raise them. Men aren't committing to jobs. Men aren't committing to church. Men aren't committing in a number of ways. And I believe it's because we aren't committing to the ways of God. If we commit to God's ways, it will naturally overflow into the other areas of our lives. We will commit to the other areas of importance in our lives if if we as men live in commitment to God our other commitments fall into place if we don't live in commitment to God our other commitments they fail over time now we need only to look at the one who's giving the charge here David knew the effects of not maintaining consistency in his commitment to God it affected his life and it wrecked his kingdom so men commit to god commit to the good news of Jesus Christ commit to living in commitment to god one final characteristic here that we find in 1 Kings 2 I would encourage you to read this passage in 1 Kings chapter 2 particularly verses 1 through 11 as you see David's charge to Solomon the beginning in verse 5 it gets a little strange I'll be honest we read this and it is what I call the godfather scene Of the Bible. David is dying. He gives the charge to Solomon to be a man. He gives the charge to Solomon to walk in the ways of the Lord. And then he begins to talk to Solomon about, uh, well, about who he should kill as soon as he becomes king. And it's an interesting set of verses. There are those who have not acted in the way that they should towards David and toward God. And so now David, who had given his promises to men like Joab, for example, that he wouldn't take their life, to men like Shimei, that he wouldn't take their life. Well, now he's dying, and so that commitment no longer holds. And so he calls his son Solomon to deal with these men, to deal with these unrighteous men, and to hand out justice as the king. Now, David had fought against the enemies of God, and now David is seeking justice to purify the kingdom even more as it moves forward. In order for that to happen, Solomon must purge Joab and Shimei. Joab killed Abner. Shimei was irreverent. And so David tells Solomon to remove the unjust. Like the godfather, David has Solomon strike a blow. It's strategic in several ways. One, it purifies the kingdom, but it also forces Solomon to do what David had been doing most of his life. It forces Solomon to begin to fight the right battles, to fight for justice. Throughout Scripture, men were called on to fight battles, The men of Israel fought to expand the kingdom of God. They fought to protect their families. They fought the right battles. When they didn't fight the right battles, they found themselves on the side of the enemies of God. When they were fighting the right battles, they found themselves on the side of God. The question for us is, what will we fight for? What will we fight for? Will we as men fight to expand the kingdom of God? Will we as men fight for our families? Will we as men fight for our culture? We are in a fight. We are in a battle between good and evil, and the warrior in the Bible is the man. The man is the warrior in his household. The man is the warrior in his church. The man is the warrior in his culture. So men, take up your armor. Take up your sword and get in the fight. The question for us as men is what is it costing us to not fight? What is it costing us to not fight? In his book, The Professor in the Cage, Jonathan Gottschall, and I don't know if I'm saying that name correctly, but he he talks about how he was a literature professor, and he was looking across his college campus, and he saw an MMA gym. And he makes the statement as he went and signed up for MMA classes. He says, I wanted to fight for one of the main reasons men have always fought, to discover if I was a coward. I also fought for all the times long ago when I was too much of a coward to fight. And so he goes and he not only begins to take MMA classes, but eventually he would fight in a cage. Hence the name of the book, The Professor in the Cage. He begins this book talking about Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr. Alexander Hamilton in that famous duel was killed by Aaron Burr. We'd probably say the most famous duel, certainly in U.S. history. And it seems odd, two men ten paces away taking shots at each other for their personal honor. It seems strange. But the real story is that Hamilton had offended Burr, and Burr wanted to regain his honor. Well, Hamilton didn't want to lose his honor either. And in that day and age, if you lose your honor, you lose everything. If you lose your honor, you lose for Hamilton, he would have lost his political future. He would have lost his social position. He would have lost his business as a lawyer. Not only that, but his own children would be marred by the dishonor of their father. His family would not have been able to go out in public. His children's financial and romantic prospects would be diminished if Hamilton lost his honor. So he accepts the challenge from Burr. They duel Ultimately, Hamilton loses his life. Gotcha states about Hamilton, quote, Hamilton fought because he was scared of what it would cost him not to fight. What is it costing us not to fight? As men, if we are not being the warriors that God has called us to be, what is it costing us? Well, we simply need only to look at the statistics of our homes. The statistics of our churches, and the realities of the culture around us. I would submit to us that the reason we as men are under attack is because we haven't been attacking ourselves. We as men have stopped fighting the right battles. God has called us to fight. Men, be a warrior, fight the right battles, be a man. Thank you so much for joining us in this episode of The Watchman's Soul. As always, we encourage you to be a man. Be the man that God has called you to be.